My eyes are spent with tears. My heart burns. My being melts away over the ruin of my poor people. These words from Migilat Echa, or the Book of Lamentations in English, are read every year on Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of the Hebrew month of Av. Many also recite the traditional Nachem prayer, which refers to Jerusalem as, quote, the city that is in ruins, despised and desolate, mourning without her children. Hold on a second. Let's be honest here. The ruins of Jerusalem are poor, pathetic people? Come on. We're living in an unprecedented time in Jewish history. We have a state in the land of Israel. Jerusalem is once again our capital, and Jewish life is thriving there. Almost half of the world's Jews now live in their ancient homeland and their holiest cities. So, these statements don't really reflect reality. So why do many Jews continue to say these prayers and continue to fast and mourn on Tisha B'Av? Hi, I'm Avi. And I'm Sarah. And this week we're unpacking, what is Tisha B'Av and how did it become a day of mourning? The short version is that this was, well, not a good day for the Jews. According to the Talmud, this actually goes all the way back to biblical times. On the ninth of Av, the generation of Israelites leaving Egypt learned that they would all die in the wilderness and would not be able to enter the Promised Land. It was also the day that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylonia, destroyed the first temple that King Solomon built. And a few hundred years later, it was when the Romans destroyed the second temple, which had been built by the returning exiles and rebuilt by King Herod. In post-temple times, the day continued to prove inauspicious. In 135 CE, it was the day that Betar, the last fortress of Shimon bar Kokhba and his Jewish army, fell to the Romans. One year later, Hadrian, the Roman emperor and ruler of Jerusalem, plowed the area where the temple had stood and established his own pagan temple there. King Edward I signed the Edict of the Expulsion of the Jews from England on this day in 1290, and King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella set the date for the expulsion of the Jews from Spain to happen on, you guessed it, the 9th of Av. There's a Talmudic idea of Huchpilu Boat which basically suggests that all tragedies that befall the Jewish people should be included within the tragedy of the destruction of the two temples. Therefore, the rabbis actually designated the 9th of Av as the day that Jews would remember not only these events, but also all the other distressing events that have befallen the Jewish people. The Mishnah says that to commemorate the great sadness, one should decrease their level of joy once the month of Av begins. In addition to fasting, traditionally observant Jews engage in cheshbona nefesh, literally an accounting of the soul, with a special focus on lessons that we as a Jewish community can learn from our past. One of the most well-known lessons that the Jewish people typically reflect on during Tisha B'Av is found in the Talmudic story of two men, Kamtza and Bar Kamtza, which you can find in Tractate Gittin, page 55b, if you're following along. This famous story has forever been associated with Tisha B'Av because of its opening line, quote, 
Jerusalem was destroyed on account of Kamtsa and Bar Kamtsa, end quote. You may be wondering how a dispute between two people could have led to the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, here we go. An invitation to a party is mistakenly delivered to Bar Kamtsa instead of, you guessed it, Kamtsa. So Bar Kamtsa, who is a straight up enemy of the host of the party, shows up to the party. When the host sees his enemy, Bar Kamtsa, who was not invited to his party, he gets up in front of all of the guests, which included a lot of big name sages of the time, and basically says to him, you're my enemy, what the heck are you doing here? Get out of my party now. The host then continuously humiliates Bar Kamtsa in front of everybody as Bar Kamsa tries to save face. He offers to pay for his meal if he can stay, and he's rejected. He then offers to pay for half the party, and he's rejected. He even offers to pay for the entire party if he can just stay and not be further humiliated. But the host of the party grabs Bar Kamsa and throws him out of the party. Bar Kamsa is so humiliated and so offended that he goes to the Roman king and actually accuses the Jews of rebelling against the Roman authorities. And eventually, this is what leads to the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. The 16th century rabbi Judah Lo ben Bezalel, more commonly referred to as the Maharal of Prague, argued that this story is a warning about the dangers of Sinat Hinam, baseless hatred. The Maharal wrote that the problematic dynamics between Kamsa, Bar Kamsa, and the host reflected division and hostility that were present in the entire Jewish community at the time. The Maharal's basic argument is also stated pointedly in the Talmud, in Yoma, page 9b. Why was the second temple destroyed? Due to baseless hatred. The story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa also has a powerful message about the responsibilities of rabbis and Jewish leaders. Dr. Noam Weissman, the senior vice president here at Unpacked, who is also the executive producer of this podcast, put it this way, quote, the most painful aspect of the Kamsa Bar Kamsa battle was not the antipathy that was displayed for the other. Rather, it was the esteemed rabbis who stood idly by while their brother was being humiliated, end quote. In other words, this story is not just about the problem of antipathy within the Jewish community. It's a warning against apathy toward one another as well. On the surface, the phrase sinat chinam, or baseless hatred, sends the message that there are different kinds of hatred. Some are legitimate, and others just totally baseless. So how can we tell which ones are considered sinat chinam? According to Rabbi Binyamin Zimmerman, director of Hezber, a Jewish educational organization, sinat chinam is hatred that stems from jealousy or arrogance, or when disagreements escalate and become uncivil and include personal attacks. Lots of people also include racism, anti-Semitism, and other forms of discrimination as clear expressions of Sinat Chinam. Jewish tradition actually makes a clear distinction between Sinat Chinam and permitted forms of hatred, like the need to distance oneself from a harmful influence. Even so, these examples of permitted hatred should be super limited. 
The medieval Svartic rabbi Bachia ben Asher warned that Sinat Chinam is, quote, a grave sickness and is the cause of all the sins mentioned in the Torah, end quote. He encouraged Achdut Israel, Jewish unity, adding that, quote, unity is the essential cause of peace. Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook, more commonly known as Rav Cook, wrote, quote, if we and the world were destroyed due to Sinat Chinam, then we shall rebuild ourselves and the world with Avat Chinam, baseless love, end quote. The story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa raises the question of what we are truly mourning on this somber day. Are we mourning the loss of the temple or is this really about the cause of the loss of the temple and the problem of Sinat Chinam? And at what point will fasting and other mourning practices on Tisha B'Av no longer be necessary? Halachic authorities have debated the question of at what point it will no longer be appropriate to mourn on this day. The famous commentator Rashi minimally defined the requirement as the removal of non-Jewish rule over the Jewish people. But Rashi was in the minority here. The majority of the Rishonim, the leading medieval rabbis, agreed that the temple would need to be rebuilt before Tisha B'Av would stop being a sad day. While the Orthodox community and the rabbinate argue that fasting will continue to be necessary until the rebuilding of the temple, there are differences of opinion regarding the Nachim prayer that is traditionally recited on this day. The traditional version of the prayer describes Jerusalem as the city that is in ruins, despised and desolate, mourning without her children. The late rabbi Chaim David Halevi, the former Sephardic chief rabbi of Tel Aviv, believed that describing Jerusalem this way would constitute a lie when he considered the city to be thriving with hundreds of thousands of Jews living there today. Halevi was also in favor of reducing the sorrowful keynote or elegies that are traditionally recited. Since 1967, various attempts have been made to create new versions of the Nachim prayer to better reflect current reality. The Orthodox movement has not accepted these changes, believing them to be inappropriate so long as the temple remains destroyed and opposing liturgical modifications in general. Outside the Orthodox world, Israel's Masorti movement is divided over the issue of fasting on Tisha B'Av in today's day and age. For example, Rabbi Tuvia Friedman interestingly argues that one should fast for half the day in order to recognize the reunification of Jerusalem. Others believe that fasting for a full day is still necessary because of the ongoing conflict in Israel. Rabbi David Galinkin, president of the Schechter Institute, made this case, quote, we have a state, but have we enjoyed one moment of real peace since its establishment? We have fought seven wars and we continue to fight terrorists in Israel, Gaza, and Lebanon." End quote. The same type of argument could also be made for Jews in the diaspora. With the recent wave of anti-Semitism sweeping across the United States and around the world, the Jewish people are certainly not home free from persecution and troubles. From these perspectives, Tisha B'Av should continue to be a day of mourning. Meanwhile, 
The non-Orthodox movements adjusted the text of the Nachem prayer to be a plea for rachamim, or compassion for Jerusalem. It says, quote, which is being rebuilt upon its ruins, restored upon its ravage, and resettled upon its desolation, end quote. I think we can all count our blessings that Jerusalem is not desolate and abandoned, as traditional Tisha B'Av liturgy describes. And I feel really grateful that we're living in a time where a Jewish state exists. Regardless of one's politics, the Jewish people having access to our holiest sites and autonomy in the holiest city is truly extraordinary. But this does not render Tisha B'Av and its traditional mourning practices obsolete. In addition to remembering the destruction of the two temples and other tragedies that have befallen the Jewish people, many Jews continue to commemorate this day in recognition of the fact that Israel is not yet at peace, that Jews around the world continue to face anti-Semitism, and that Sinat Chinam and division persist within the Jewish community. As we enter the saddest day in the Jewish calendar, will the Kamsa Bar Kamsa battle finally be resolved? Will we sit idly by or will we bring people together? It's our choice. Until we can find ways to achieve greater unity through Ahavat Chinam among the Jewish people, many will continue to mourn, search deeply inside ourselves, and commemorate Tisha B'Av as the saddest of days. Thanks for listening. This episode was hosted by me, Sarah Himmelis. And me, Avi Posen. This Week Unpacked is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Make sure you don't miss future episodes by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the pod, rate and review This Week Unpacked and share it with your friends. We'd love to hear what you think. Shoot us an email at podcast at jewishunpacked.com. This episode was edited by Avi Posen and John Kunza, audio engineered by Rob Pera, and written by me. Rivki Stern is our producer, and Noam Weissman is the executive producer of This Week Unpacked. This episode was sponsored by the Jewish Federation of Broward County. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. See you next week.